Well, today I'm joined by two outstanding Christian leaders, Jim Daly and Tony Evans. Jim Daly is president and CEO of Focus on the Family. If you don't know his story, you really should pick up his book, Finding Home. Jim grew up in a very dysfunctional environment. He bounced from foster care home to foster care home. He's got an incredible story of grace and redemption, and it's really made him a powerful and influential advocate for adoption and foster care. We're going to talk about that in our discussion today. We also will have a discussion with Tony Evans, who is the founder of the Urban Alternative, pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. Uh, Dr. Evans is a well-known speaker, author, and pastor. He was a featured speaker at our recent leadership summit on racial reconciliation. Our discussion today will focus on that topic, racial reconciliation and the church. He has a unique perspective as the first African-American to receive a doctorate from Dallas Theological Seminary. Both of these interviews with Jim Daly and Tony Evans were taken from a new training suite for pastors and church leaders offered by ERLC and LifeWay's Ministry Grid. I'm going to explain more about how you can get that for your church at the end of the podcast. But for now, let's begin our conversation with Focus on the Family President, Jim Daly. I'm here with Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family. Thank you for joining us here on Ministry Grid. Yeah, it's great to be with you. And uh, we want to talk uh, about orphan care. And, mm. and obviously, that's something of, of real personal interest to you, given your, your life story. Um, and I'm guessing most people have heard your story. But specifically to pastors and church leaders, um, first of all, tell us why this is an important issue for the church uh, to to take up? I think there's a number of reasons for it. One is it's close to God's heart. Mm-hmm. I think it's 47 times he says, take care of the widow and the orphan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like teenagers, <laughs> we'd say, what do you want us to do, Lord? Well, for the 48th time, yes. take care of the widows and the right. orphans. So I just think fundamentally it's close to God's heart because mm-hmm. of the disenfranchisement that the orphan is under particularly and the widow. And it's something that demonstrates the love of God. And mm-hmm. I think the Lord loves it when his body will demonstrate his compassion. And there's no greater uh, uh, people group. I mean, forget the the, the socioeconomic cut, uh, racial cut. Mm-hmm. Widows and orphans are the most oppressed people for all kinds of reasons. And so I think that's why it's close to God's heart. That's why you could say it 2,000, 3,000 years ago, mm-hmm. and it's still relevant today. So for us, foster care orphans are particularly meaningful for me because I lived there. I was a foster care kid. I think uh, pastors will hear this and church leaders and say, I hear what you're saying. I want to do this. The crisis is so big. We're so overwhelmed. You know, I'm a small church. Uh, What what can we do? Or even if you're a big church, you got a million ministries and he's thinking, I got to get my sermon ready for Sunday. It's like, how can I add one more thing? What what would you tell, tell him? Uh, in that situation? Well, I think it's it's true. When you look at global orphans, it's like 160 Mm -hmm. million. Wow. Uh, When you look at foster care orphans, I'll refer to them in that way. These are foster kids that their parental rights have been terminated. Mm -hmm. In the state of Colorado a few years ago, we had only 850 children that fit that description. Their Mm -hmm. parents, their parental rights were gone. They were wards of the court. When they turn 18, the last foster care check comes and they go out the door. Mm -hmm. And you age out. And it's alarming. I think it's 70% of those kids end up in jail. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at that, um, start there. That's what we did in Colorado with the help of many, many pastors on the front range in Colorado. 
uh, we were able to move that from 850 kids to about 250 kids in about a three-year period. And yeah, it's an amazing thing. And it's not easy. Uh, You know, these kids are very um, troubled by a lot of the past, Mm -hmm. a lot of the insecurity, the lack of love, um, the way that people have taken advantage of them. They're broken spirits. But what better place to show God's love than to step up and uh, be involved? And I think churches, when you look at the number compared to the global number of orphans, uh, there's about 100,000 kids in the U.S. that are in the foster care that the parental rights have been terminated. Mm -hmm. There's 300,000 churches. If every third church would take one kid, we'd have it wiped out. And I think it'd be awesome to see the New York Times headline that says, Christian Church Wipes Out Waiting Adoption Rule. I think that should rally our hearts. I think it would give such credibility to the gospel, too. And I think that's what happened in the early church in Rome. Mm -hmm. They did these things that, uh, you know, do these things so that they might honor your Father in heaven. If we can do these things, I think the world will even say, ah, those are good people, and we need that right now. What would be a good first step for, say, a pastor says, you know, I'm I'm hearing what you're saying. I'm reading this. I'm, I feel convicted. Our church needs to do this. Like, what is just a good first step, you know, the next step? Uh, well, for folks, you know, there's one way to do that is contact focus on the mm-hmm. family because that's we're looking for those opportunities. And we're typically looking to partner with a key church or a handful of churches that can champion the role. Mm-hmm. And then we engage the state, which the state, you know, here's the thing, the state Family services area are usually so grateful. In Colorado, Dr. Sharon Ford, who actually is on the staff at Focus now, was the head of foster care for the state of Colorado. When we came and talked to her about doing this, she cried. Wow. And she said, I've been praying for 25 Mm. years for the church to do this. Mm. Think of the heart of these people Mm. working in foster care, many of them Christian. And uh, so I I would say the one first step, you could call us. We can help with other steps. I think simply talking to the state agencies Mm -hmm. is is a good first step, Uh, pulling together an activity at the church, inviting potential parents to have a wake-up call for this opportunity, see if the Lord stirs their heart, and then you got to talk very openly Mm -hmm. about the difficulty that you're going to face. It's not easy, Mm -hmm. but God doesn't call us to easy. He calls us to faithfulness. Yeah. I want to dig in on that last part a little bit, you know. It sounds exciting. We're gonna we're gonna have orphan care ministry. We're gonna adopt these kids, uh, but it really is not an easy um, task when parents decide to do this. And just talk a little bit about uh, the difficulty that can be expected. Yeah. Um, well, Gene and I we do foster uh, care at our home. We we were aiming to adopt, but that situation didn't work out. So one of the things is there's plenty of disappointment in mm-hmm. that situation and. You've got to just really earnestly seek the Lord for each child. And, uh, you know, in our case, uh, those kids were reunited with their birth mother. Mm -hmm. So in the end, I remember telling my wife, this is a good thing, even though it's a hard thing, uh, for them to be reunited with their mom. Mm -hmm. Kids have such resiliency for their their moms and dads, Mm -hmm. and that's a good thing. So I I think when you look at it, um, be mindful. I think... Looking back on that experience, my counsel to a couple would be, if you're nearing empty nest or you're an empty nest Mm -hmm. couple, that is a perfect time to take on this challenge and to say, we're going to walk with you. There are kids every year, 16, 17 years old that are aging out. And I remember one story was so heartrending. This girl who was 17, almost 18, had called the, the adoption agency and she had never been placed. Beautiful girl. And in every way, inside, outside. And she said, you know what? What really uh, troubles me is I don't know if I'm ever going to be able to call home and ask my mom how to bake a turkey for Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. 
think of that, the simplicity of that, but the powerful sorrow that she had. Mm. And somebody adopted her at 17 years and eight months. And she told that adoption agency, Christian adoption agency, she said, now I'll be able to call home and ask mom how to cook wow. that turkey. Wow. Um, it sounds That's so amazing. simple, but as a, as a foster kid myself, oh, yeah. there's power in that. Yeah. That's belonging. Yeah. The, the last thing I want to ask is, you know, families that are taking on this and saying, the Lord has called us to do this. Uh, talk about the importance of their church community. Yeah coming around the family. So when you have those hard days yeah. and you're ready to give up, how important is that? It's critical. I think uh, there are groups that have done studies on this and they, I think the estimates are it takes about five families to come around an adoptive really? family mm. for them to be successful because it's 24 seven. And uh, for them to be able to get a weekend away and have the, the kids go mm-hmm. with another couple for the weekend, that is all very important stuff. And I think for the church to create an atmosphere like that, that if you're going to adopt, uh, we're going to come around you as a body mm-hmm. of believers. Like you're, you're not alone, you're Ranger. You're not alone. Yeah. And unfortunately in the U.S., I, we have such an individualism and a pioneering spirit that we think we got to do it all on our own. Mm-hmm. We're not vulnerable to help. But I would mm-hmm. say for a successful adoption situation, a church that gets around those adoptive parents, it's it's the difference. Mm-hmm. It's what keeps it sane. And uh, I imagine it, it changes the the dynamic of the church too, right? The, I, oh. I mean, the culture of a church in a good way, right? Yeah, de- you know, New Life, Brady Boyd out in Colorado mm-hmm. Springs. Yeah, uh, I think they adopted in this uh, joint venture that we uh, did in Colorado. They adopted over a hundred kids wow. in that one church, and uh, he just right from the get go, he said, "You guys are." Uh, now children brought into the body here you're all of our children wow and uh, they they just warmly brought them in and they got them into classes to help them they got counselors around them to continue the the help to get them through the emotional scars that they have that's what the body of Christ is about Jim Daly thank you for that good word and thank you for joining us here nice to be with you I want to thank Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family, for that great conversation. And now let's join Dr. Tony Evans of the Urban Alternative and Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. Dr. Tony Evans, thanks for joining us here on Ministry Grid. Uh, I wanted to talk about racial reconciliation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just wrote a book, Oneness Embraced. First, tell me, why should racial reconciliation uh, be important uh, for the church? Well, the main reason is that uh, the death of Christ reconciled people into one body. So theologically, it has to do with mm-hmm. uh, with one of the goals of the gospel. But practically, in terms of our everyday living, God is a unified being, and so he does not operate in illegitimate division. So if people are divided illegitimately, you've actually blocked God's mm-hmm. presence and his manifest glory out of our midst. So the division of the church has really kept God at bay. Uh, it's been said that 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour of American life. Uh, why do you think that still is? Uh, why do you think it's still that way in the church? Because I think we're more committed to culture than Christ. Mm. I think um, our history, our background, how we were raised, how people will perceive us is just a little bit more important than what it means to uh 
to belong to the same family. And, uh, and, and because we've allowed culture to have authority in our lives, creating this division, we've, we've gotten comfortable operating there, even though we talk differently about it. We'll sing Kubaya and we'll sing We're One in the Band of Love. Mm. But in terms of operating as one body, we have not yet learned to do that on a very large scale. I think when a lot of pastors and church leaders hearing us talk uh, will agree about the unity in the body of Christ, the the goals of racial reconciliation, uh, but wonder how you know what are things we can do intentionally to foster that. Well, the most important thing we have to know is that racial reconciliation or reconciliation in any legitimate sphere mm-hmm. should not be an end in itself. It is the means to an end. Mm-hmm. Reconciliation has as its goal ministry. So when you are reconciled to a common cause, you know, when you're in a war, you don't care about the color or the culture or the class of the per- person uh, fighting next to you as long as he's shooting in the same direction you are. Mm-hmm. And we're in a spiritual battle here. And so in order to win this battle, we need to be reconciled. Mm-hmm. So uh, as long as Satan can keep us fighting each other, we don't get around to fighting him. <laughs> And he is the enemy that we're pointed to. So I think we have to look at racial reconciliation as bigger than just two people or two groups getting along. Mm -hmm. It has to do with getting along for the purpose of uh, reaching people for Christ and having an impact in the world. I think when white evangelicals uh, think think about this issue, I think it's been difficult for white evangelicals to really sympathize with African-American evangelicals and kind of kind of what they're going through and kind of their experiences. Can you speak a little bit about, about what it's like from, from your perspective, uh, especially, you know, a lot of the evangelical world and subculture is, 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 is white, let's be honest, and, and kind of what that's like. Well, I mean, I have been, uh, as I talk in the book, One That's Embraced and share some of my experiences of uh, uh, being turned down at churches, being mm-hmm. told by Bible teaching churches, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm not welcome. Uh, when we first started in Radio, we said they, I was told directly that a black speaker would offend too many of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you hear that, then, then, then even though everybody's talking about Jesus, you know, it's not equal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and since, uh, the, uh, Anglo community by and large controls the ways and means of production, not only in the secular world, but in the Christian yeah. world. Mm-hmm. And that, and your access to that is determined by them. And, and they have an attitude often of superiority and you are treated often in an inferior way, even though you may, you may be credentialed or you may have a gifting, but because you're not part of that group, uh, that does skew how you view things and it may, it can make you suspect. Mm-hmm. of motives, of uh, whether you're just there to fill a quota uh, uh, or to meet a need. I mean, when I was uh, I was the fourth person to go, fourth African-American to go to Dallas Seminary, if I would have tried to go there 10 years earlier, they wouldn't have let me in mm-hmm. because of the color of my skin. Uh, so, and I was the first African-American to earn a doctorate from Dallas Seminary. Now, on one hand, that's a great honor. On the other hand, that's a great indictment because it, uh, I'm the only, uh, the only reason I'm the first is because African Americans couldn't get in. Mm. And so, uh, and so th- that left a great dearth. In fact, Bible institutes were established by white evangelical schools in order to promote segregation and be able to say we're teaching the Bible. Mm. So it, it, there is this history 
that people do not know about or appreciate or recognize that they've fallen into. And so we're still dealing with some of the repercussions of that history that went unaddressed for so long uh, in um, in the Church of Jesus Christ. I want to expand on that a little bit. I mean, I think, you know, when white evangelicals sometimes think, well, we've made progress, we've got uh, some African-Americans that attend our church, uh, but, you know, the leadership is still all white, the kind of the, as you said, the power structures are run by white people. Um, and then there's there's sometimes a sense, too, of, of people saying, well, look look where we are now. Why do we have to keep talking about the past? But why is it important, A, to, to really talk and know about the history and also not be satisfied with what we think is uh, diversity now when we really need, need to go farther? Well, if, if, if you are just satisfied that we've made progress, mm-hmm. but it is clear from the news that progress is not near what is needed. Mm-hmm. And if the church is supposed to be the light to the world, mm-hmm. then we need more than progress. We need, we need a model mm-hmm. set forth that the world can see what it ought to look like when the kingdom of God is operating mm-hmm. racially consistent with the biblical norms and standards that have been set up in the word of God. And it, it doesn't it doesn't take generations to do this. It's it's taking generations to do it because we've not been radical in addressing it. Mm-hmm. And what we have to understand is that this issue is so significant that uh, it is the unanswered prayer of Jesus in John mm-hmm. seventeen mm-hmm. when he prayed that they might be one, that we might that the world might see, and that God's glory might show up. And so that was Jesus's prayer. We refuse to be the answer to that prayer. And therefore, the church is even uh, getting the repercussions of what is under the uh, just just under the surface in yeah. the culture, and that's why a little match starts a major fire because yeah. that thing is 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 just there until something happens that erupts it into a bigger agenda. Uh, the last question is: you know, as you're talking to pastors and church leaders and church planners, even even faithful church members who who are concerned and passionate about racial reconciliation kind of want to know that okay, what's the what are the next steps what are some things I should be could be doing right now well we we, we have set forth a three-point plan through our national ministry the urban alternative uh, the three-point plan is to one have a solemn assembly in every community throughout this nation where churches come together across racial and cultural and class lines for the purpose of reinviting God's presence back into this collective church community. A solemn assembly in scripture was a sacred gathering, reinviting God in the midst of his people, but to do it across those lines. Secondly of all, to do outreach together. Our main outreach we promote is the adoption of public schools because there you're reaching kids and families and you can do it as a full community because every church is located near school. And then thirdly, because you've come together to, uh, uh, to call on God, and because you've come together in good works, now you come together with a single voice about issues facing your community. Mm-hmm. And because you've come together for those three things, thus reconciliation, it's now overflowing into impact. Dr. Tony Evans, thank you so much for that good word and for joining us on Ministry Grid. Thank you. Well, I want to thank Dr. Tony Evans for that great conversation this interview and the one earlier with Jim Daly, president of Focus on the Family, were taken from a really great new tool we're offering in partnership with Lifeway Christian Resources. It's a comprehensive ministry training for church staffs and volunteers through 
a service called Ministry Grid. Ministry Grid is a subscription service that offers churches of all sizes a really great way to deliver comprehensive training for their staff and their volunteers. ERLC is offering 10 new courses on difficult moral and ethical issues featuring well-known Christian leaders like Jim Daly, Tony Evans, J.D. Greer, Russell Moore, Dennis Rainey, Trillian Newbell, and many others. I encourage you to go to erlc.com training to find out more or by simply visiting my website, danieldarling.com and clicking on the podcast page for more information. As a former pastor, I can't tell you enough how valuable this training will be for your leadership team. But for now, thank you for listening to The Way Home Podcast.